0: Chapter, verse by verse, we will be in Second Kings. Second Kings Chapter thirteen. Second Kings chapter thirteen. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. Bible here. Okay, jacket left over from the hiking trip. It's Joel's. All right. We're really efficient this evening. Second Kings. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we, we just uh, know, Lord, there's just so much in your word, Lord, that you want to reveal to us. And I just pray this evening that we don't miss uh, any bit of it, Lord. God, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for caring so much, Lord, about just where exactly we are in our walk, in our life, Lord, and and we just thank you so much that uh, there's always so much more uh, for us, Lord, and and the well uh, never runs dry, we thank you for that, Lord. I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, uh, that you'd reveal your heart to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it's been a couple weeks since we've been uh, in the Second Kings. And uh, remember in Second Kings, it's a chronicle of the life of the kings of Judah in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and then the ten tribes uh, in the north. It gets kind of confusing because it goes back and forth between what's going on in the north What's going on in the south, remember at one point, the north and the south were one under Saul and David and Solomon. But after Solomon's son came into power, uh, because of the sin of Solomon, the, 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 the wickedness that uh, he uh, sort of introduced uh, into Israel uh, with his hundreds of wives, among uh, many other uh, uh, things that he did that were clearly disobedient to the word of God, uh, there was a disintegration uh, of the nation, and the, the north, uh, ten tribes went to the north. Actually, we are nearing the end, and we're getting to um, really a, a tragic, tragic uh, place uh, in, uh, in northern Israel, uh, which will be coming, uh, actually, it will be beginning in some of the chapters we're reading uh, tonight, but um, it, it'll get worse, and uh, the just amazing thing. Uh, that I have learned as we've gone through First uh, and Second Kings is the long-suffering and the mercy of God. Uh, up in the north, for literally hundreds of years, there was not a single king that was righteous, not a single uh, uh, kingdom up there, not, not a single... Uh, person reigning who was righteous. Everyone was wicked and still for hundreds of years the Lord sending his prophets uh, up to the north. Uh, Elijah, Elisha. Uh, you know we think of Elijah and we think of this um, you know incredibly powerful ministry but the fact of the matter is he was uh, if, it, if, if conversions and repentance he was judged by, uh, he was a failure because Israel in the north now, uh, we're talking about, uh, they never repented because of his ministry. Uh, and then in today we're going to go over a king where uh, Jonah went up there, uh, Hosea, uh, Amos, uh, some of the, the as the, as the uh, time drew to a close in northern Israel, uh, the prophets, the Lord sent more and more prophets. He never gave up. It didn't matter how wicked they were. He did not give up uh, to the very, very end where it was clear that they were just given over uh, to, their own, uh, to their own wickedness. And, and you know, the Bible does speak in Romans chapter 1 of a certain point a man or woman can get in their life where they become so callous you know, over a period of years and years, the Lord says, okay, have it your way, and he gives them over to just utter callousness uh, in their hearts. And, and so, uh, in chapter 13, uh, it's, we're, talk- we're, we're back on the nor- north here. It says, in the, in the 23rd year of, the, uh, of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoaz, the son of Jehu became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from that. Remember, what was the sin of Jeroboam? Jeroboam had set up two golden calves uh, in in the north because he didn't want anyone to go down to Jerusalem lest their hearts uh, be drawn to the king down there, so it's put. Uh, you put up these two golden calves and said, "Here's the two calves that. Uh, who? Uh, this is the god. This is the god. These are the gods who took you out of Egypt." You know, just craziness and very similar to you know if you look at the history of the church, where different denominations bring in superstition and they bring in idols and uh, and this type of thing. Just the exact same thing that happened there in the north. And so uh, that was the sin of Jeroboam. Verse 3, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So there's always this, uh, this you know, the, the Lord, his righteous anger was aroused against Israel, but at, you know, at the same time, his mercy uh, uh, coming in, you see this over and over again. And again in verse 3, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel. All their days. Now, here in verse 4 it says, So Jehoaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Again, please don't be lost on this fact. Here you have uh, a nation and a king who have been just completely disobedient for the Lord uh, from the Lord for here for uh, in the hundreds of years and you still have the Lord uh, you know we talked on Sunday morning about 1 Corinthians 13 first first definition of love what is it love suffers long and and this is it i mean I, 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 the Lord's still here verse 4 it says listening to the king pleading with them even though there's any human being on the face of the earth in the history of the earth at this time would have long ago given up. He's still listening to them, and he's, sti- uh, still, uh, he's still coming uh, to their aid at times of oppression. Verse 5, Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer. So he gave them a deliverer so that they escaped from, the, uh, from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Verse 6, Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them, and the wooden image also uh, remained in Samaria. And so, uh, here you have just another example of, so so oftentimes you know, uh, people, you walk the streets and, uh, and, and some of these these folks uh, will show up at church every Sunday, that they, there really is no relationship with God until crisis comes into their life. Crisis. You know, the, the, Jehoaz, this wicked king, he had nothing to do with God until all of a sudden his his kingdom was about to be overtaken, and all of a sudden this guy is crying out to the Lord. And and, 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 and open up your heart this evening and ask the Lord, is, is this... My kind of faith, there's an actual term for it. It's called a temporal faith, which means a temporary faith. You get sick, you cry to the Lord, you're healed, and you forget about Him. Your finances go in the tank. You cry out to the Lord, He gets you financially secure, you forget about Him. You get into some terrible relationship problem, you cry out to the Lord, He restores the relationship, you forget about Him. That is not a saving faith. That is not the faith that pleases God. It's not the faith that uh, gets someone uh, into an eternal relationship with God. A saving faith with God is putting your life in his hands, trusting your life to Jesus, and and then staying there, not just forgetting uh, about him. Certainly that described the faith in God that I had for the first 24 years of my life. It was just all about you go to God, like a lucky uh, charm in times of crisis. Now, the amazing thing about the Lord is that he will come to the aid of people even when they're treating him like a lucky charm. That's his mercy. That is his heart. He's drawing them uh, to uh, him. And and so uh, here we see that yet again in, in this king of the north. Uh, and then it says... Um, uh, the, the next king here, verse 10, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. And so, again, in addition to the confusion about going in, in these chapters the, from the north to the south, the south to the north, you also, their names sound the same. I mean, you know, you have to be a rocket scientist to memorize all these uh, names here. Uh, but... Um, Anyway, you have uh, another king here. And then uh, things get really interesting in verse 14. Elisha. And boy, have we seen some incredible things from his hand. Uh, Elisha the prophet became sick with illness of which he would die. You know, this isn't a bad, uh, this isn't a bad verse there. To underline, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's sick with an illness that was going to take his life away. We're talking about a guy who has brought the dead back to life. Who, do you remember in the time of famine that um, he went and told the widow to go out and find as many vessels as she could find, and every single one of them. He filled up with oil, miraculously, from a little little jar of oil, who made iron float. Remember that axe head? Who made that dead stew. You guys remember that? He, there was that stew and there was a famine in the land and all there was is they went out and got a bunch of gourds, wild gourds and made a stew out of it because there was nothing else to eat and they're like, man of God, this uh, stew, it tastes like death. It's like my cooking. It tastes like death. And, uh, and, and so, and, and uh, I can't remember what he did, but um, he, uh, he, he, he made it sweet. And so here's this, this, this guy who, Lord, had used such a tremendous way here he is with an illness of which he would die. To never, ever, ever believe those who feel like he getting healed from illness is somehow a guarantee of being born again. That's just complete nonsense. I mean, if, if, if anyone uh, was ever uh, able to, buy faith, Uh, be healed, it was Elisha. Sometimes uh, it it is God's will to take away a man or woman or a a child who's a child of God, has nothing to do with their sin. It's because he wants them. He wants them to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. How foolish it is to think that that, that death is in all cases a worse thing than life, that that's crazy, and, and God, for for reasons we don't completely understand, will take take His children to Himself, and you know that's not a bad thing, and and I do believe we that that you know Isaiah fifty three does say by His stripes, Jesus' stripes, we're healed, and so we that is a part of that is a part I believe of the new covenant in 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 in. in, in in Jesus Christ. And I believe up until the time a person dies, we need to be believing God for healing. But he's God, and we're not. And so, uh, uh, you know, sickness, lingering sickness, not always an evidence of lack of faith, not always the evidence of uh, sin, although many, many times it is. It's because, you know, God brings us sickness because he's trying to do something in our life. And so it says there... It says, then Joash, king of Israel, uh, came down to him and wept over his face and said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And so, you know, here you have this king, this wicked king, but he still recognizes righteousness when he sees it. And how often this is true. And how often this can be true uh, in, in your life, that you can be living amongst the most wicked, evil people. But over time, as they see your steadfast life, uh, walking with the Lord, they will learn to rever, to, to really honor and respect and even seek you out. I mean, I, it's, it's amazing how many times that, um, you know, people, you'll witness to them, they don't want to have anything to do with you. But then in the time of crisis, you know, they don't go running to their drug dealers for help. And they'll come running to you. And so um, here you have this wicked king, and he's, oh, my father. So he's calling him my father. So Elisha just has done an enormous work in ministry in northern Israel, although didn't mean there was repentance there. So uh, don't be discouraged if uh, you've witnessed to the 57th person and they haven't turned to the Lord up here in Boston because uh, you're in good company with Elijah and Elisha. And so then it says in verse... um, Uh, 15 said, Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So Elisha was always doing this funky stuff, and here he is again. He's up to his funky things here. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hand, and he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, Syria was the enemies of Israel for you must strike the Syrians in Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till uh, you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died, and they buried him, uh, and they buried him. And so, uh, a lot of people get, you know, wonder, you know, what's up with this, <laughs> yeah, this story, uh, you know, just because the guy uh, struck uh, three times, uh, you know, why would that be a reason to deny Israel victory? Well, that it wasn't because uh, he only struck three times. It's because, uh, you know, Elisha was a was a prophet. He knew what was going to go on with uh, Syria. He knew that it w- was going to be because of the lack of obedience, the lack of fervency, the lack of real um, uh, zeal for, for the people of God, that they were not going to strike Syria. And so when this king is, is, he hits the ground with an arrow, he wasn't told to hit it five or six times. He was just told, strike the ground. But the fact he only struck it three times was just, uh, it just represented the lack of zeal and fervency uh, in his life. Now, I can't tell you how important fervency is in the life of a man or woman of God. Everyone know what that word is, fervency? It's just that, 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 that 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 energy, that zeal for the Lord, that uh, that intensity. And I I believe if we look at the Hebrew translation, um, or the Greek actually translation, this is Hebrew, but where that word fervent is used in the New Testament, it's that um, that. The, the word can also be translated intense intensity, and and you know it's so important. You know the Lord wants a, a undivided heart uh, for Him, and an undivided heart is a fervent heart. You know the the Jude this morning we we were reading out of Jude, and it said you know contend earnestly for the faith, and that word contend means battle, and the word uh, and the word earnestly means throw yourself into. And that's that same thing, fervently throw yourself into the, the call of God that he's put yourself in. Don't go walking around with a drooping head when you're ministering for the Lord, or when you're praying for the Lord, or when you're serving for the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I can't tell you how important it is. You know, The Bible says uh, the uh, in the book of James, the uh, the fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That, that you know, the, the crying out and so uh, to the Lord. And so how often our prayer life just becomes a drone. It becomes a ritual. And you know what the, to do when that happens? The, the, you know, the wonderful thing is, is God will give you the grace to just by faith just say, just start crying out to him. And just, you know, Psalm 42 says, my soul pants for you, O God. And, and, and so, you know, by faith, we need to be fervent. Um, you know, Romans twelve eight says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It, when we serve the Lord, we need to do it with passion. If we're not doing it with passion, we need to, we need to go to the Lord. And we need to really question, why are we doing this? Uh, the first Peter 4, 8 says, have fervent love for one another. So that means every time you see Greg, you go up and hug him and, and kiss him and, and, oh, I love you, Greg. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. That's what I do sometimes. No, not really. But, but, um, uh, but, but seriously, in our love for one another, you know, it, the Holy Spirit is, is a fire. The word fire is often used for Holy Spirit. And, and, and that, that fire, it represents that fervency. And so that's the way, you know, when you're serving, when you're praying, when you're loving, it's that fire that should be at the center of your love, your serving, and your praying. And so, you know, it's same, it's the same is true with uh, you know the enemies in our life. And who are, who are the enemies in our life? Well, the Bible says the the flesh lusts against the spirit. You know, that lust, those enemies. You know, are we just gonna are we, are we just gonna beat the arrow three times on the ground, or are we gonna be whacking that thing until the enemy's dead? You know, the, you know, that's the question in our life, and that's really what it represented here. You know, you have up here in the nor- northern Israel, you know, they were just complacent. They were, did not have a zeal for the Lord. You know, that was God's, God's territory up there, but they had no zeal to, to push the enemy out. And so, you know, that's really, uh, that's really what uh, it represented. Be so fervent in your study of God's word. Your study of God's word. There should be a fire there. Uh, if it's not there, you know, cry out to the Lord uh, for it. There's a famous saying by a famous preacher, put fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. You know, I'll take that advice. The thing is, it should be for everything. Your, not only sermons, it's not just for preacher types. It's for everyone. Your serving, your prayer life, your uh, the way you love... Uh, and, and, and so, you know, it, it's that fervency. And that's what had died up in the north. There's generations of people just not obeying uh, the word of God. And and so then it goes on. So Elisha died, verse 20, and they buried him. And the raiding band from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Uh, so it was that they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Wow. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's some kind of legacy that he has here. And, and I just really just believe this is obviously an extremely rare occurrence uh, in, in scripture, but it, it's just the Lord... Uh, speaking to us something, even today, to this very day. The Lord doesn't doesn't want His Word to go void in our life, to go empty. He's speaking to us, you know, if you died tonight, if you died tonight, would the memory, would your life continue to be giving off life in people's life? Did you live your life in such a way that, that people who... Uh, lived after you or people who live after you, when they touch the memory of your life or the experience of your life, you're giving them life. You know, and, 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 and that is, that's the, that's the life that we want to live. And we talked last week about Jehonadab. 700 years, I think it was, after this guy dies his family, his descendants are still living for the Lord because of his example. Wow. (laughs) So I love the word of God. It's just so, uh, so challenging there. It is so challenging. And so then it says in verse uh, 25, it says, And Joash, the son of uh, Jehoaz, recaptured the hand the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jeho- Jehoaz, his father by war, three times Jehoash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So the prophecy came true. He defeated him three times. If he really wanted, he could have completely crushed them. He would have completely crushed them. Eventually, uh, these, these Assyrians... We're really going to do Israel over, and so, uh, well, how often in our life, where there's our enemy, and and we just strike the enemy three times, and but but what the Lord wants to do with our flesh is to kill it. You can't make flesh better. And you know, we read the works of the flesh this morning. They're defined in what Galatians chapter five, verses nineteen through twenty-one, or whatever. I mean, that's just one unbelievably depressing list of of things. It says in in those verses, the works of the flesh are this, you know, idolatries, fornications, sorceries, hatreds, murders, revelries, you know, it goes on and on. You can't sort of try to throw band-aids on that. You got to kill it. That's what you got to do with it. You know, again, it says the flesh wars against the spirit. You can't, you can't try to compromise with the flesh. You got to kill it. Remember what happened with Saul. The Lord said he needed to um, kill all the, what was it, the, kill Agag, and he was the king of the who? <coughs> who was King Agag the king of? The Amalekites. Come on. I know you guys knew that. He was, uh, you know, the Lord had told him to, to to wipe out every single Amalekite. That's how much, that's how much. Uh, trouble they were bringing on Israel. That's how much wickedness that they that, that they were um, that, that they were involved in the Malachi camps. And, and and the Lord told Saul kill every single one of them. But he he, he leaves the king uh, Agag. And it wound up being you know a descendant of this guy Agag uh, it is believed who wound up killing him in the end. And and so that's what we will happen with us if we just strike the enemy three times. And don't just completely kill it. It's going to come back, and it's going to lead to our ruin. So how, how important it is uh, to be fervent in spirit also against just the things that lust against um, our own uh, spirit. And so chapter 14, it says, In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, a king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So here you have the kings in the south. I believe there was eight kings in the south who were righteous kings. Uh, It says, yet not like his father David. He did everything, however, as his father Joash had done. So it says, yet not like his father David. And this probably what this was referenced to is that there was obedience in his life. He had a lot of the sort of the motions right, but he didn't have the emotions right. And God wants the emotions as well as the motions right. And David had a heart that was just fervent for the Lord. It was on fire for the Lord. And just go through the Psalms and you'll you'll see that. And and whereas God will honor obedience. Uh, what he really wants is uh, the heart. And so um, it, it, it says in verse 4, however, the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So there's still this lingering sin there in the area. Uh, now it happened as soon as his kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king. Remember uh, Joash's father, uh, the servants had, had raised up uh, and... Uh, had murdered his father. Verse 6, But the children of the murderers did not execute, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, so he didn't execute the children of the murderers. And it says, The book of the law of Moses says that the father shall not be put to to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. And so uh, and so, um, he honors this, this principle. And, you know, it's true that children are not to die for the sins of their fathers. And nor are fathers to die for the sins of their children. And Today, a lot of times, you do get people uh, blaming their sins on their, their fathers and mothers. And the Bible says, no, everyone dies for their own sin. Uh, everyone uh, dies for their own sin and and you know it's it's so popular with psychology and stuff today to be blaming your parents uh, for for different things. but you know the the Lord takes it very, very seriously. and the book of Ezekiel and the book of Jeremiah, both of those prophets cite this commonly cited proverb, which was this. Our fathers ate sour grapes and therefore our teeth are set on edge. Our fathers ate sour grapes therefore our, our, our teeth are set on edge. And so, it's just not pop psychology in the year 2007 where people are brain, blaming their parents. Uh, it happened 3,000 years ago in the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They were saying that, you know, because of our fathers they ate sour grapes, they 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 basically, um, they ate and drank from the cup of sort of rebellion, the cup of disobedience. Because of them, you know, our teeth are set on edge. In other words, we're all sort of dysfunctional. We're dysfunctional, and we're sort of emotionally all messed up because of our fathers uh, uh, eating sour grapes. And, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, no more. I'm going to bring this country. I'm going to wreak judgment on this nation so that there won't be any children saying that anymore. Quit blaming your sin on your parents, he was saying. Uh, and so it's odious uh, in the sight of the Lord when you're blaming anyone else, whether your parents or anyone else, uh, for your own problems. And then, you know, uh, it, it, you know it, it says here, uh, this guy, Jehoaz, again, He was someone who did right in the sight of the Lord, yet uh, not like his father David, but um, uh, he did have a victory here. He says in verse 7, He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So he he experiences this great victory. Uh, But then it says that he sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoash, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying... Come, let's face one another in battle. So he, so what's happening here is he has this tremendous victory against Edom, who was an enemy of, of Israel in the south, and now he wants to go up to the north and battle basically his cousins, his brethren up in the north, because, remember, this is the south, and we're now talking about a southern king, Amaziah. So he goes up uh, to the north, and he says, Come, let us face one another in battle. But the king of Israel, verse 9, says to Amaziah, This... Thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son his wife. And a wild beast uh, that was in Lebanon and passed by and trampled the thistle. So they, this is, they used to speak in these kind of parable type of things. And verse 10 says, You have indeed defeated Edom, and now your heart has lifted you up, up. Glory in that and stay at home, for why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? says, but Amaziah would not heed. Therefore, Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of uh, Judah, faced one another in Bethshemeth, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel. And every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah. And he went to Jerusalem. So the guy goes all the way down into Jerusalem. So he penetrates way deep into the country. Uh, and... It says he took all the gold and the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasury of the king's house and he took hostages and returned to Samaria. So this king in Judah gets whipped. He gets crushed. And, you know, I think back to what it says at the beginning of the chapter. He says he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet his heart was not like his father David. And and, and what was David's heart like? Again, it was sensitive to that still, small voice of the Lord. You know, just because there's like some good idea out there. And we think, oh, you know, it would be a great idea to go do this for the Lord. If we are not if our hearts are not sensitive to the Lord, if we're not praying to the Lord, if we don't have a devotion time to the Lord, we're just going to make a decision based upon our own reason and logic. Sounds like a good idea. But just because something is a good idea doesn't mean the Lord wants you to do it. <laughs> and Or may the timing may not be right. And I cannot tell you how many times That this gets Christians in trouble. They run off, they get ahead of God, they go off and do something that sounds like a great idea, but it wasn't the Lord, and they wind up getting crushed. I mean, look at what happened. I I, I mean, they they, they go in, they get crushed, then the northern, you know, but it's, it's a wicked people. They come down into Jerusalem, into the temple, they take all the treasuries, and they take a bunch of hostages. So it was just disaster, and actually, he never recovered from this. It says, uh, eventually, his own people uh, wound up assassinating him, I believe. Uh, yeah, they assassinated him, and, and his nation never recovered, and this was a good guy. He was a good guy. He's a guy who would come into this church, and we'd be talking with him after the church, and we'd leave saying, you know, that's a good guy, or it's a, woman, or a good woman, you know, God wants so much more than just good guys and good women. There's an expression in the in the South. You know, he's good people, or she's good people. Anyone hear that before? Anyone? Okay, we have some people who've been in the South. You know, he, he he's good people. Who has never heard that? Okay, you see, we get some Yankees here too. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, I, and and so, but but you know, that's like. You know, and I, I feel like I can say this. My wife's from the South. I've lived in the South for 12 years. But, you know, good people. He's good people. She's good people. The Lord wants so, so much more than that. He wants people whose hearts are, are sensitive uh, to him, who are listening to his voice, who will be able to, in a single Bible study, be able to hear, you know, it's pretty clear, this is a great idea. But I'm not supposed to be the one fulfilling this great idea. It's someone else, not me. You know, the Lord wants me doing this or that or whatever at this time. And so just, you know, you see here uh, what happens to him. And it says that in verse 19, And they, the people in Israel formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. This is a terrible tragedy. You know, at that time, he didn't they didn't vote kings out. They just went and, you know, killed him. Verse 20, Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem, and all the people took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. And he built Elath and restored it to Judah, and the king rested with his father. And so then in verses 23 through uh, 29, you have Jeroboam II. Now, they we're switching back to the north now. and says he reigned 41 years. But he said in verse 24, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, uh, who had made Israel sin. And it says that he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. So he's, he's actually, the Lord's actually restoring territory to the north, even though there's a wicked king. And again, this is speaks to the mercy of the Lord here. And then, it, real interesting in the verse, there, it says, "According, um, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which He had spoken through His servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, a prophet who is from Gethhepher, and so that's none other than it is believed the Jonah who uh, wrote the Book of Jonah. The, the, the Book of Jonah is about this Jonah." It's a prophet at this time who, again, the nation of Israel is coming to the close. And he was up there saying, look, you guys got to return to the Lord or there's going to be disaster. Uh, And Jonah was one of those prophets. Uh, Verse 46, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. And whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under him, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So here's this wicked king. And he prospers enormously. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's really tough, you know, understanding. We look out and there will be wickedness. There will be, uh, you know, from time to time there will be a president of this country. And we'll just look at them and, and we'll say, this is just this person's evil. Why is the Lord prospering this person? Why are they doing that? And I always come back to, you know, Psalm 73. Be very careful. You know, the Psalms say, do not fret in your heart because of wicked men. It'll lead only to evil, it says. Do not fret in your heart because of the prosperity of the wicked. It'll only lead to evil. <laughs> and, you know, I always think of Psalm 73. It says, truly God is good to Israel as for me, my father feet had almost stumbled because I was envious of the the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it it continues on. uh, on. It says, There are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. They are not a plague like other men. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Um, They scoff and speak wickedly concerning a... Oppression. They speak loftily now. All of this is nonsense, because that's not how the wicked live. The Bible says there is no rest for the wicked. The wicked are not enjoying their life. It looks like they are because they're you know a lot of times you know whatever they're they're they have so much stuff around them masking their the 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 anxiety in their soul, that they're, they're sort of making out like uh, things are well, but they're not. But what did uh, Psalm, the psalmist went on to say on Psalm 73? He says, I, When I thought of these things, it was just too painful uh, for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. How important it is for us to be close to the Lord where we uh, really understand. That's not what's happening the wicked aren't all there, you know, enjoying life, peace, prosperity. No, they're all on, you know, antidepressants. And, you know, they're all battling their fifth marriage and, you know, and and things like this. That's what's going on. And so we're believing a lie. And thinking to ourselves, you know, surely I've kept my my hands clean for no reason. So surely I've been righteous. It's going to be a complete waste of time. And then Psalmist says, this is all too painful to me until I enter the sanctuary of God. And, and, how, and, and how true that is, that when we really uh, realize that, that that's what's going on. And so we do look at someone like this Jeroboam II, uh, and uh, he, during his reign, again, there were prophets. Jonah, Hosea, Joel, Michael, didn't pay attention to any of them, and he still prospered. And it is just so strange, you know, every single Sunday in this country that the Word of God going out powerfully, it's just a wonderful thing, all around our country, in spite of many problems uh, that this country has, in spite of a lot of wickedness, every Sunday morning in this country, really, thousands and thousands of, of men uh, and women <laughs> teaching God's Word around this country, uh, being declared. And, and, you know, you, you, a lot of times you'll see wicked prospering and growing in the country. And, and, but the Bible says don't fret because of sin. It'll lead only only to evil. Instead, you know, honestly, really, um, what we need to be asking um, ourselves is, God, why has God prospered us? You know, why has God prospered me? Why has God saved me? And, and we got to remember just uh, the, the, the grace of the Lord, uh, the grace that God has had on our life. Uh, instead of fretting over evil, we'll never completely understand why someone like Jeroboam greatly increases because his kingdom greatly increases because God had mercy on him. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? Why? A lot of it has to do with the long-suffering of God, the mercy of God, but at the end of the day, it's not, you know, it really is none of our business. And we should be, the only a- question we should be uh, a- asking ourselves is, wow, why did, uh, why did God even never save me? And so, uh, uh, anyway, then, it goes, th- then we continue on in chapter 15. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. Now, Azariah—it's got another name. What is it? Anyone know? Chronicles—he's called Uzziah. He's a uh, just a fabulous, wonderful, powerful man of God. Reigned for fifty years, and we'll read a lot more about him in Chronicles, and just enormous prosperity in the south during his reign uh, because, you know, because in his case, it was because of, uh, of his righteousness and uh, it, it, the prosperity that he had, uh, the prosperity that was in the north under Jeroboam II just paled. It was small compared to, to Uzziah because Uzziah it actually stretched way beyond the borders of Israel. It was like worldwide, this guy, uh, uh, um, Azariah. But we don't read a whole lot about him in uh, in Kings. We read a lot about him in Chronicles. It says in verse uh, 2, it says he was 16 years old when he became king. His mother's name was Jechaliah By the way, when you see a mother's name mentioned, that's, it's highly unusual for a mother's name to be mentioned because the Jews didn't do genealogies uh, like this. When a mother's name is mentioned, it's for one of two reasons. One, it's because she gets the credit for his righteousness, or two, she gets the blame for his evil <laughs> and, and, and usually, when you see a mother's name mentioned, it's because there's a righteous king and, and it just is true that what is that The hand of the cradle or what that one how's that one go? The hand that rocks the cradle someone finishes it rules the world the hand that yeah this is good you you know like teamwork here (laughs) hand of hand that rocks a, a cradle rules the world it really is true and so this mighty mighty king there's a reason that his mother's name is mentioned it's because this this young child was nurtured by this woman of god and he just grew up as a righteous mighty young man of god and and you know, what a testimony that is uh, to the calling of being a mother. Uh, it says in verse 3, and, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned intran- uh, incense on the high places. Says, uh, and then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death. And so we know from the book of Chronicles what happened there. He was struck for a reason. The very end of his reign, it it wasn't like Solomon where it was years and years and years where the pride just built up and at the very end in Solomon you just have someone who was lost, who, you know, practically, you know, his heart, there was very little sensitivity to the Lord. Uzziah was at the very, it was close to the end of, um, uh, of his life, uh, he pride came into his heart. I mean, he was a worldwide uh, figure by that f- point, and it says that he went and he burnt. Uh, I think he burnt incense or he offered a sacrifice in the temple. And the priests, it says a lot about Uzziah. The priest went and confronted him. It says a lot about Uzziah that the, the priests would have the guts to do that. That he had actually let them, uh, you know, grow in righteousness, and he gave them the freedom to be who they should be, and he didn't meddle in their affairs, but they confronted him and said, you can't do this. You're a king. The Mosaic law says kings don't go to the, uh, you know, to the altar and, and, and offer sacrifices. And we've seen throughout the Old Testament that, you know, people who do that sometimes just were immediately... Smitten, or killed, or burned up by fire, and that just represents just how holy God is, and what an incredible sacrifice Jesus made when He died for us on the cross to give us access to the to, to the Lord. But as Uzziah went in there, and he was, um, he basically told the priest to get out of the way. He made the sacrifice because a pride had gotten his heart, and he was smitten with um, uh, smitten with leprosy. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. And whether it's a king or a beggar, if they're disobeying the word of God, there's going to be judgment around the corner in their life. And a real interesting uh, prophecy about Jesus in Zechariah chapter 6, it says that, um, Behold the man whose name is the branch, referring to Jesus, he shall build the temple, he shall sit and he will be a priest, he will be a so it says he'll be a priest and a king. So there's only one king who will ever really be a priest. And that's Jesus. And so some think that the, the reason that Uzziah um, was struck with leprosy and the judgment was so harsh, even though this man was a very righteous, mighty man of God his whole life, he was polluting a picture of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus. And he was sort of defiling that, that picture of Christ um, uh, in the... Uh, in the Old Testament. And so he was struck with leprosy, and he had actually died with leprosy. Uh, incredible disgrace. Reminds you a little bit of, uh, of Moses, that that um, too much is given, much is expected. And uh, he really wound up um, having a, a tragic end to his life. And then in the rest of the chapters in... Uh, The rest of the chapters of uh, the the rest of the kings of this chapter, uh, most of them are in Israel. Uh, You have Zechariah verses 8 through uh, 12. It says in verse 9, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you have Shalem uh, as well. And then you have uh, Menahem. Now, this was one wicked dude. And verse 16, he said he went about um, killing the women and ripping the women with child open. So this is just how bad things have, have gotten up in the north. He becomes king. And then another guy, Pekahiah, uh, it says, became king. And um, again, he says he does evil in the, the sight of the Lord. And then in uh, verse 27... Pekah becomes king, and he too does evil in the sight of the Lord. And then it says in verse 29, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abel, Beth, Makkah, Jonah, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, that's where Jesus uh, was from, and all the land of Nephali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. So here's the beginning of the end here's the beginning of the end, that, you know, for a period of uh, a few hundred years, the Lord is, it has, has gotten to the point now where, and you really get the sense of this in chapter 15, just one king after another, that they're just evil, there's just that downward spiral. You know that there's been, uh, you know, such a, such a long legacy of disobeying the word of God. You know, they kept on mentioning these, the sins of Jeroboam, over and over again, those two uh, golden calves, and that's really what the Lord held against Israel, but you really get the sense after a while that it's just been so long, it's so much a part of who they are, that they've just been given over just to a callous heart, and um, it says that the this Assyrian king took them and carried them to Assyria, and so uh, this is what the Assyrians used to do to weaken their enemies. They used to transport them and bring them back to different places and, and have them intermarry with the people and weaken them. And basically, they'd just be wiped out. And uh, over a few generations, you wouldn't even uh, know who they were anymore. And this is what Assyria did. And this is, you know, this is what Satan wants to do with you. He wants to carry you to a place where you just are assimilated with the world. You're doing the things of the world. You're uh, intermarrying whatever with the world. You're, You're not only of the world, you're in the world. And he just wants to snuff out your witness completely. It's a tragedy. This is what happened there in the north. They were carried away. And they just became intermarried and and you know now you look at there are shows on TV uh, about the lost tribes of Israel, and they think they've located some in northern India and China and these other places, and we'll never know for sure. But uh, uh, but you know in in the south, he just didn't have the level of rebellion, and, and, and you know they preserved uh, Judah and Benjamin in the south, but in the north. Uh, literally Satan just crushed. He crushed them. He crushed their witness. And Israel, which was supposed to be a light to the nations, you know, they're they're carried away. Now, we're going to get into that's completed, actually, in the study next week. And so, uh, anyway, I mean, the good news um, is that there was going to be uh, a Messiah. There was going to be a Redeemer. There was going to be a... deliver for Israel. And there was nothing that was going to prevent that Messiah from coming into the world. And there's nothing going to prevent him from one day reigning as king uh, forever. And so there's always hope in the midst of tragedy. Now, in the re- last part of the chapter, it goes back and just deals with one king of Judah It says, in the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Again, here you are, moms. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. So again, you have a righteous mom. That's why she is mentioned here, and uh, actually, this guy Jotham, we know very, very little about him, uh, but in Second Chronicles chapter 26, it says this of him, it says, Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God, and I, I love that verse so much, I actually typed it up and cut it out, and I put it on one of the... Uh, the doorposts in in the hall in our house, which I do with scriptures that I love because I just love that. Jotham became mighty. Why? Because he prepared his ways before the Lord. I just love that, you know? And, And so that is how we become mighty. Whether we're a mighty mom or we're a mighty Sunday school teacher or we're a mighty evangelist, we become mighty even as we prepare our ways before the Lord our God. In other words, not running off and just doing something because it's a good idea. No, preparing our ways before the Lord our God. Just just putting before the Lord every day, preparing our life before Him, asking Him, okay, is this what you want, Lord? Is that what you want? Left or right, Lord? Straight? Do I go back? What do you want, Lord? He prepared way his way before the Lord and it says that he became mighty oh that that would be uh, written of our lives that we became mighty because we prepared our ways before the Lord our God ah praise God I love that verse I really do okay let's pray father I just thank you Lord for your word and Lord we pray for the grace and we thank you that you have promised it to us Lord the grace, Lord, just to prepare our ways before you, Father, just to take away uh, whatever. Lord, There there's many things that we put before you that you're not, you have no interest in us participating in. There's other things that we're not participating in that you want to bring in, Lord. We want to prepare our ways before you, Lord. We want to be mighty. Lord, we know that doesn't mean famous. That just means mighty in power, fervent in spirit, fruitful in our lives, Lord. We want that. We want that for our lives. We thank you for this example, the example of Jotham, Lord. doesn't have a lot about him. Chronicle what, what it is that made him mighty. But oh, that it would be said of us, Lord, even as we're preparing our ways before you, that we became mighty before you. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray for, Lord, for your grace this week. God, there are many different folks in this room coming from so many different just ways of life, and there's going to just be different trials this week. Uh, there's going to be victories this week too, Lord, and, and, and I just pray for the grace just to walk in them uh, with humility, but with joy in our hearts, praising and, uh, and, and being thankful to you, Lord.